Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast. This is editor Patrick Prince, and podcast is a proud member of the Pantheon Group of Podcasts. We have a cool podcast episode this week, and it's because it's leading up to the anniversary, the 52nd anniversary of Woodstock. And we have someone who knows Woodstock very well, longtime Goldmine writer Mike Greenblatt. Hey, Mike. How's it going, Pat? So, Mike, we did a podcast episode two years ago, and it was the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, and you had a book coming out. Uh, maybe you could remind listeners about your book. Um, Woodstock, Back to Yasger's Farm. It's a beautiful hardcover book with hundreds of pictures and all kinds of memorabilia and uh, personal anecdotes about falling in love. Uh, there's a section of called invited to the dance, but with an incredible list of artists that they wanted to perform. And for one reason or another, they couldn't. We list those artists and we list the reason they couldn't perform. Hmm. We also list every single artist, the time they went on, the time they went off, their set list, their personnel and their top five albums. Yeah, and there's also some some things are set straight also in the book, especially the schedule. If you go online, you see all different times listed. So you guys got the right time of every band. You were there. So, I mean, uh, sometimes on acid, sometimes not, but you were there. Well, <laughs> you know, I got lucky and I, I, I was able to be to interview Bill Hanley, the godfather of concert sound. Um, he really should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And through Bill Hanley, he turned me on to some of these other guys behind the scenes, like uh, Professor Langhart at NYU, who was just an amazing hero of Woodstock, as well as some of the other people. I even spoke to uh, the guys that were up on stage warning people about the brown acid. I spoke to uh, fans, artists, managers, all kinds of people that were related to Woodstock. And I must say, people are loving it. You know, I never asked you, did you speak to the promoters? I did not speak to the promoters, probably because they had their, Michael Lang had his own book out. Oh. Maybe that's why, I don't know. What do you think, real quick, before we get to, you did a new article for uh, Goldmine, which is the best albums of Woodstock artists, and it lists all 32 artists, and you give your best, what you think their best record is, which we'll get to in a moment, but um, 
I never heard your opinion of the other Woodstock events, 1999 and 1999 was a disaster. And, you know, Michael Lang, yeah, 94 and Michael Lang made excuses about 99. There was a big riot, a big fire. There's a documentary about it. Um, It was not in the same spirit of the original Woodstock. And personally, my opinion is that the, the whole thing was a, disgrace <laughs> but um it should not have been called woodstock it should have been called something else um, i don't know how you feel i agree with you um although the documentary is fascinating it is um, yeah uh it, it was just an event that it didn't it just didn't work um fred durst from limp biscuit incited a riot telling people to burn stuff, telling people to destroy stuff. I mean, listen to them. Yeah. Uh, the the women were getting molested right and left. You could even see it in in the documentary. These women, topless women, are 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 in the mosh pit, so to speak, and they're they're getting uh, touched by all these hands. Are it's it's ludicrous. Um, it was the total opposite of 1969 and. Like I said, they should have called it something else. And, you know, it was karma because it didn't have good intentions. It was it was a money grab to off my opinion off of the original Woodstock. And they should have called it something else or had it in a different place. But um, it is a fascinating documentary, but uh, it really bummed me out because it uh, just it, it was I don't know if how you feel, but do you think it's a stain on the memories of the original Woodstock? Has nothing to do with the original Woodstock. Uh, it, as you say, it was a totally different kind of thing. I think the movie did a good job in showing the tenor of the times. Uh, in 99, uh, it, was, it was all about the angry white boy. And yeah. these angry white boys all got together uh, and were violent and set fires and molested women. And after three days of no food, no water, horrible heat, it exploded into an orgy of violence, sort of like uh, apocalyptic style. It was horrible, absolutely horrible. I mean, I knew what happened. I just didn't know the extent of it. It was truly a horror show. Were you invited to that as a journalist? No, you know, it's funny, I was 18. In 69, when I went to the original Woodstock, in the 90s, uh, I was, what, in my 40s? Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I I didn't want to go back to Woodstock in my 40s. Yeah. Um, the one in 94, I understand, went, went off really well. It had a lot of the original artists from Woodstock, 69, and it right. went off without a hitch. But something about 99, uh, and, and the, the, movie, the movie's a hard it's a Angry. horror because it builds up to that last night yeah. uh like after the first night you see the people sliding around in mud well guess what it wasn't mud the toilets had overflown Ugh. over over uh, uh well it, first of all they were selling you know water and for a high price four dollars for a bottle Ugh. of water for 99 and they were selling food, pretzels for like an exorbitant amount of money. And in 69, 
most of the food vendors were you even said there was a hot dog truck it was affordable or they gave food away right i mean it was just a different mindset yeah there were uh, there was a case of arson i must admit in 69 uh when one of the hot dog stands was burned down out of uh frustration that there weren't any hot dogs left mm. um and i didn't find out about that until decades later really you didn't um, see that huh no i never realized that um it's like when I was at Woodstock in '69. I never knew there was a there was a hog farm doling out free food. I would have I would have gone to get some. I was starving. Uh, who knew that there was a, we? You know, it's funny the the lake and the stage and the area that we perused were was a very small area. And I never really for three to four days went outside that area to discover uh, the hog farm soup kitchen, wow. which I would have I would have loved to have. Uh, Stood on that line. Oh, well. Well, you know, there were no cell phones to text you to tell you that, hey, man. <laughs> no bottled waters, even. Uh, that's right. Right. So let's start off with you made a, you chose one album, sometimes two albums for each artist, 32 artists that were there. Uh, let's go over a few. You start off with Richie Havens. Your pick was mixed bag 1966 and you absolutely love that album and richie havens um you've you've commented that his debut album was kind of like how he started woodstock he just in a fury he really brought out all this emotion we had uh, seen richie open for many uh of the blues artists you know back then before woodstock in the in the mid to late 60s the great blues legends were all still alive yeah uh, john lee hooker and and uh uh mississippi john hurt mississippi fred mcdowell brownie uh, uh sonny terry and brownie mcgee uh and it's funny how how much we were into those blues artists as like 15 16 year old kids and i think it's because when the rolling stones played on uh the show uh shindig yeah. um they brought out howlin wolf uh and I'm, i watched that and this guy this howlin wolf guy this huge uh six foot five black dude with a rough voice like this uh i was fascinated with this guy when i saw him as a teenager thank you brian jones and it, he set me off into a lifetime of loving the blues me and millions of other white american kids so you think Richie Havens, though, was a perfect way to start off? Well, he wasn't supposed to. Mm. Uh, the other acts were scared to go on stage because the concert was eight hours late. So <laughs> people were yelling and screaming and throwing stuff and where's the music? And uh, so but he went on and his was one of the most iconic sets. He was just wonderful. And then, and then it's followed by Sweetwater. And you said that even though you like their self-titled debut album, they really didn't fulfill their promise because they bored the hell out of you. Yeah, uh, I tried getting into Sweetwater. They were the first band to play Woodstock. And uh, after a song and a half, I went to the uh, hot dog stand, which still had hot dogs at that point. <laughs> and you chowed down a little bit. That's right. I porked up big time. Now, you really like the acts that followed Burt Sommer, The Road to Travel, and Tim Harden. 
Tim Harden too. But you thought uh, wasn't Harden? Uh, unfortunately, he was high when he played. Yeah, he was more than high. He was strung out on heroin at the time, Ugh. and uh, that, that's pretty much documented. And uh, he was underneath the stage, sticking a needle in his arm when they asked him to go on stage and perform. And then when he finally did perform, he lost it completely. I mean, I loved Reason to Believe, Lady Came from Baltimore, um, If I Were a Carpenter. You know, these are these are great songs of the 60s. And he sang them. He was a folk artist, but he, he was jazz in his vocals. And we always loved Tim Harden. He was one of the one of the acts I really wanted to see. Yet he was just awful. Mm. He at one point in the song he stopped singing, stopped singing completely, and he looked around as if he didn't know where he was. And I remember telling my friend Neil, uh, "What's the matter with him?" <laughs> well, you you say that Bert Sommer was great, and he had one of the best. Um, songs, Paul Simon's America, that you witnessed there. Yeah, I just... loved him. He was quiet. He was cerebral. And it's amazing how quiet Woodstock got. They were listening. We were listening. And he... why did they leave him off the soundtrack? Why? Why? I, I, I cannot answer that. But the, the thing about him is he got the first standing ovation of the weekend at Woodstock after America, and he fine-tuned that Paul Simon song. He took out the middle part, playing games with the faces. She said the man in the gabardine suit was a spy. He took that part out completely because it sort of detracts from the meaning of the song. And his arrangement of it brought the, uh, the powerful essence of that song to life. We've all come to look for America. Well, that's exactly what we came to look for when we went to Woodstock, like-minded people of our own ilk. Um, we were freaks in Newark, New Jersey. We didn't fit in, but we found America at Woodstock. And when he did that song, it really did encapsulate everything that we were going through. And he, he, was, he had a tragic life, I think. If only he was included in that soundtrack. Yeah, um, tell me about it. He died early. Uh, natural causes, some disease that took his life early on. Um, but he could have been big. Could have, would have, should have. He was in the left, was it the left bank who did Walk Away Renee? Yeah. Uh, he was in, he was in the movie, the, 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 the Broadway musical Hair. Yes. Um, in fact, that was his hair on the program yeah. of the, the playbill for yeah. the musical. Now also Melanie did another another uh it was another moment that you thought was great explain well, that a little bit sing, she didn't sing candles in the rain she hadn't written it yet uh but she did sing a song called beautiful people that epitomized the hippie aesthetic and she was afraid and she was so pretty she was literally shaking uh i mean imagine a young girl sitting on a stool with her acoustic guitar singing by herself with no accompaniment to 500,000 people. I mean, maybe there weren't 500,000 people there yet on Friday night, but there certainly were a whole hell of a lot of people and a single spotlight just focused in on her. And everyone in that valley, their eyes were like right on her and she felt it. And she, it, it, the quiver in her voice, if you go back and listen to the, um, 
the track on the Woodstock soundtrack, Beautiful People, you could hear her fear. And it almost added to her sense of vulnerability. Uh, I fell in love with her that night. She still has a very great haunting voice. Um, you said the album Candles in the Rain a year later, kind of that was that kind of came from that Woodstock vibe experience uh, that kind of made her, created that album. She and looked up, up and she saw all these lights. Uh, I, I mean, did people really bring candles to Woodstock? And if so, why? I mean, uh, I guess for camping purposes, I don't know, but it certainly, it certainly <laughs> weren't cell phones that right. she was looking at. Uh, certainly weren't matches, which would have gone out in the, it rained during Melanie's set. It was a nice, soft, warm rain, an enjoyable rain at that particular juncture. And that's when she thought about it and she wrote Candles in the Rain, which was her biggest hit. Now, one of the next artists, Arlo Guthrie, right? He's the one who made the quote, the New York State Thruway is closed. And you realized, my God, where we, the whole world is watching us, right? Is that- Yeah, that's when we first realized. Uh, we were too busy being in the moment to realize the, the, this event's ramifications at that point until Arlo came on. And that's when we realized, oh man, the whole world's watching what's going on here this weekend. Uh, Arlo was funny. He was brash. He was, oh geez. <laughs> he was he was irreverent. Um, we loved Arlo. Still love Arlo. I believe he recently retired. Well, you liked uh, Alice's Restaurant. You recommended here the album. It came out in 67. Did Were you a fan of Arlo before he came on? Oh, yeah, I was a fan of his father. Uh, oh, well, of course. Yeah. Bob Dylan turned me on to Woody Guthrie, as he did everyone else at the time. Uh, he st Dylan started singing Woody Guthrie songs before he started writing his own songs. And uh, Arlo was just hilarious. You know, back then, Freeform Radio was able to play a 27-minute song called Alice's Restaurant, um, which was about the draft. And, right. and the... Uh, the stress that we were all under, wondering if we were gonna be sent against our will halfway around the world to fight in a war. And the, the, the concept of that still boggles my mind that we were living under that kind of stress. So we well, the next, to. Yeah, the next artist, Joan Baez, you said that her husband was arrested, right? For draft resistance. Did you know that going into oh, the yeah. event? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We knew all about David Harris. David Harris was a bit of a hero. Um, he stood up for what he believed and, as a result, allowed himself to be arrested and thrown in jail. He was in jail when Joan Baez uh, did Wait, Woodstock. Right. Did you expect Dylan to appear at that point? All weekend, we were expecting Dylan. The rumor was, Bob Dylan's going to show up. Bob Dylan's going to show up all weekend. Even even when we left uh, in the middle of the night, Sunday night slash Monday morning, we thought, well, Dylan's still going to show up, isn't he? <laughs> well, you he never picked, showed up. You picked Diamonds and Rust as the album to buy for Joan Baez. It's 1975, but it, it is that song is about Dylan, um, reportedly. Yeah, so, and how about how Judas Priest covered one of the songs <laughs> on that cover. album? Yeah. 
So there was one band that you did not like, not neither their album nor their performance, and that is Quill. Oh. <laughs> As I write, they sounded like a bunch of guys banging on pots. <laughs> did you ever revisit them after that, or you just... Hell no. And you didn't like Incredible String Band either. You liked oh, the worst album. band ever. <laughs> The Incredible String Band were hit for about five minutes, uh, but they were so pretentious. Why is that? They 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 they, they just were they came off as self-important, and their voices quivered, uh, like really weird. Uh, and their all the tunes that they wrote had one characteristic that binded them together. That was their sound, and that is they had no melody, no melody whatsoever. An Incredible String Band song. Mm. Um, the between the odd instrumentation, uh, they they I, I've always made fun of the incredible string band, and that when I had to see them at Woodstock, I I went and I did something else. I don't remember what it was, but I didn't want to have to sit through them. But the you know you did watch Santana. Did you know anything about Santana when they came on? Yeah, I had seen Santana two weeks previous at the Singer Bowl. Oh. In Flushing Meadows, New York, open for Buddy Miles and a band called Pacific Gas and Electric. And Santana blew my mind at the Singer Bowl. Their combination of Latin music with hard rock, I just went wild at the Singer Bowl. I remember I was tripping at the time, and they were just unbelievable. So when they came on at Woodstock, I said, oh, I already saw this band. I'm going to go take a swim. And that's when I met the girl in the lake during Santana's afternoon Really? Set. Yeah. <laughs> and they had one of the best performances that you've seen. There, right. I, well, I could hear them all around me, but no, I didn't concentrate on them. I was too busy looking at this girl in the lake <laughs> and then making her acquaintance. Where is she now? Yeah. Well, tell me about it. Now you picked for Santana. Everyone would think, you know, Santana three or, you picked the fourth album, which is kind of a fusion-based album. And that's the kind of Santana you like, right? Yeah, Caravan Sarai came out, and I, had a, I argued with the guy that showed, played it for me. I said, this isn't Santana. I mean, the, the self-titled debut and uh, Santana 3 and Abraxas, which is the one that everybody always picks, right. Uh, or even Supernatural, some of the later stuff. I mean, there's so many great albums by this guy. I always loved Caravan Sarai because it predated jazz rock fusion uh, and was right there with Return to Forever and uh, Weather Report and Miles Davis's Bitches Brew. Um, that album, Caravan Sarai, has held up remarkably over the years. It's still in my record rotation, and I still love it. And it sounds, it's the one Santana album that sounds completely different from any other Santana album because it's not rock and roll. Now, let me ask you about the John Sebastian performance. You thought that he did his best work. You picked out the album, a Love and Spoonful album to listen to. You recommended Do You Believe in Magic in 65. Now, when he came on, he split from Love and Spoonful. And there was a lot of backlash at that band because they were thought to be snitches, right? They 
they had that controversy where um, they were worried about, I think their guitars about being returned to Canada and the police forced them to snitch on someone. Right. Was that still feeling still there? No, it's not no? at all. Uh, I didn't even know about it. Uh, I just think that Sebastian in, in post Love and Spoonful uh, wasn't, was <clears throat> excuse me, wasn't as much fun. I mean, they say that the music that you loved when you were younger stays with you the rest of your life. And that album came out when I, I think I was 14, maybe 15. And I loved it so much. And I, I played the heck out of it. I mean, what was I going to put? Welcome back, Cotter. I mean, uh, no, no, he never, he never equaled that album again. Yeah. Well, you're, you say Can Heat, Boogie with Can Heat in 68 was a great album. And at Woodstock, they were the perfect band at the perfect time. Why was that? <clears throat> because they just rocked the place so good and so wild. Uh, it's song after song. <clears throat> Have they you were booking. Have you seen them since? Yes. I saw them. Uh, I interviewed them for the book. And that's the night I saw them in Sellersville, PA. And they were still great. Um, and then they were followed by Mountain, which you said was like lightning in the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Mountain had one of the best sets in Woodstock. Uh, Leslie West's guitar uh, heavy metal. Boy, <laughs> were they heavy. They were so heavy and so loud. Maybe the loudest band I've ever seen in my life. And their music, it's like that the bass rump, Felix Papillardi's bass rumbled up in my stomach. You could feel it in your gut. And they were so good. I'll never forget Mountain at Woodstock. And yet you thought Grateful Dead had one of the worst performances at Woodstock, but you thought they're they have some of the best albums and you picked, you know, 1970s American Beauty and Working Man's Dead, um, but they, you thought they were horrible. Um, yeah, the dead are always uh, horrible. Uh, every, every time you see them, they're horrible. Oh, uh, unless, unless you're tripping. I saw <laughs> them again uh, in, in, at RFK Stadium with uh, the Allman Brothers and the band. Mm. And they were horrible there too. Um, but those two records, American Beauty and Working Man's Dead, forerunners of the Americana music movement, uh, we used to go camping mm. and, and, and do LSD, and we had the guitars, and we would sing along with those two records incessantly. The songs on those records have burned uh, a flame in my heart. I, I love those two records, but I hate that band. How do you go figure? <laughs> well, one band you loved were Creedence Clearwater Revival. You thought they were one of the best at Woodstock, and you loved Green River and Bayou count, uh, Country. Sorry, um, was Green River out at that time? I don't remember. Uh, I just well, you know, know who they, you were a fan. Oh, I was a huge fan of Creedence Clearwater Revival. <clears throat> um, back then, you gauged how good a band was live by how close they sounded to the record. Hmm. 
And Credence sounded that night at Woodstock exactly mm. like the records. And we were dancing to those songs. We loved those songs. And, and John Fogarty, uh, I don't know, he must have had a stick up his ass or something by not letting that band perform on that movie Sounds because they were invited to perform on that movie. Right. And, and Stu Cook and the other guy have hated him ever since. <laughs> well, the history ended up being very kind to them. They didn't need it. Um, but still, it would have been great. Who knows why he made that decision? Okay, so Janice Joplin, you were, she was drunk when she performed. And she was either drunk or tripping or on LS or or on heroin. One of the three things, maybe all three. But that and band you, was not a great band. They were well, you sloppy. Were, you said you were rather you preferred Cheap Thrills record, right? Big yeah. Brother and the Holding Company. Oh, the funny thing is, Big Brother and the Holding Company was not a good band either. Yeah, uh, they were they they were out of tune half the time. Um, she never really, I don't know. That's a strange thing with with beloved Janice. Her her personal life was as bad as her choice of men, and her choice in bands. Yeah, and and you could really tell because I believe it was Sly and the Family Stone that followed her. Yes, they made her band sound like total amateurs. Uh. Um, but just to see Janice dance around and curse and yell at the audience and and, and you know I loved Janice. I, I saw her at the at, in Jersey City at the Stanley Theater in the middle of a snowstorm and nobody showed up. Wow. And, and everybody ran down to the front of this front of the venue and the rent-a-cops shoot us back to our seats. And she stopped the concert and yelled at the rent-a-cops to let us come to the front. Well, that right there made me love her for the rest of my life. <laughs> but you thought uh, Sly, you thought the, the album Stan was better than the debut album, huh? Yeah, uh, well, Stan had that those crazy psychedelic, again, jazz rock fusion. Uh, yep. Stan had that 13 minute crazy electronic jam. Uh, it, it got political. Uh, it got funky like you wouldn't believe. And those horns. Yeah, I could have put the debut. I could have put the debut. But People, were, always, people yeah. were sleeping when they came out, huh? 4.30 in the morning. Yeah, but thank God I was up. Because that was the ultimate Woodstock moment during I Want to Take You Higher when he had us all shout out higher, higher and, and <clears throat> dancing around. And, and he said, well, we'll put, wave the peace sign up in the air. And we waved the peace sign. Uh, I was up for that. Um, and then after he was finished, the gap between him and the next band, which I believe was Jefferson uh -huh. Airplane, um, that's when I fell asleep. So yeah, I you felt, Jefferson you Airplane through the Who and Jefferson. was it the Who? How did you fall asleep during the Who? <laughs> I didn't. I fell asleep before the Who, and I did not wake up. <laughs> they were so thunderous. I mean, so that's... I missed the Who, and I missed Jefferson Airplane. Uh, those were the two bands after Sly, I believe. But again, it's it's like five o'clock in the morning. I had <laughs> I had been up for two days straight. <laughs> Yeah, and he just watched 
I guess you were satisfied by Sly, so um, you right. And then the rainstorm, right? Oh, that was the next day, right after Joe Cocker said. Joe Cocker was first yeah. on Sunday, and right before his set, I met the I met the lady that came around with a loaf of bread and a hit of acid. And she gave me the bread and she gave me the acid. And I started getting off halfway through Joe Cocker's set. And he was so magnificent. I loved him so much. During, with a little help from my friends, he kept on going and he wouldn't stop until everybody stood up and went wild. Um, and then you could see in the movie, the people on the stage look up at the sky. It got dark, like the dead of night in the middle of the afternoon. I thought it was a hallucination, but everybody was looking up at the sky and the, 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 uh, the clouds were rolling in and we knew we were in store for one big rainstorm. And that's when they stopped the show dead for three or four hours. That was wow. torture. Torture. Well, you were, did you hear the Joe Cocker album before you went to Woodstock? Were you? Oh, fan? yeah. Okay. Oh, I was, I was well aware of Joe Cocker. We, he, <clears throat> we considered him a Ray Charles uh, interpreter. He sounded like Ray Charles to us. Uh, he was great. So you were tripping throughout that rainstorm. Country Joe and the fish come on. You're, you're still tripping. And I don't know how you enjoyed it when they came, when Country Joe came back on, but you do recommend, you know, I don't have any of the albums in my collection, electric music for the mind and body. I'm going to have to pick that up. You said, oh, yeah. it's I mean, it came out, I think I was 15 years 67. old, 67, I was 16. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like nothing I had ever heard before. It was psychedelic. Hmm. I'm going to have to pick that up. Uh, I never included them in my collection. I got to tell you, though, you might be disappointed because at 16, I thought it was so wonderful. I heard it again 40 years later. <laughs> <You> need a <laughs> production work? doesn't hold up. <laughs> But then you won your all-time favorite bands 10 years after. You said that was the easy pick for an album, Undead in 1968. One of your favorites because of Alvin Lee. Um, you would go to the Fillmore East and watch him, right? So you were well, you knew about his guitar work. Well, they were my favorite band. Um, oh. And then once they got famous, you know, back then, there's a strange thing. If you had a band, you, you discovered a band, they were your band. And once everyone discovered 10 years after, I sort of didn't like them anymore. It's weird the way that works. Um, it's like, I'll never forget, we're sitting, I was sitting in a concert venue, 15, 16, and uh, someone turns around to me and goes, you like the Rolling Stones? And I go, yeah, they're my favorite band. And the kid goes, the Rolling Stones suck, Led Zeppelin. So it's like, you couldn't like one band if you liked another band. It, right. it was just such a strange phenomenon back then. This was your band. Like my band was the Kinks. 
I didn't like the Beatles because I figured they were, they were for girls. The girls like the Beatles. I like the Dave Clark Five. I thought Glad All Over was much better song that I want to hold your hand. Um, but the Dave Clark Five never matured, and the yes. Beatles did. <laughs> yes, they did. Um, you got to watch the band. And of course, you love uh, music from Big Pink and uh, the album The Band. Um, how were the band? They were one of the best of all. Hmm. Um, and you I were never... thinking George Harrison would pop on the stage? Uh, boy, that would have been something had he popped on the stage. But he did want to leave the Beatles because he spent a week with the band yep. up at Big Pink and he saw how convivial and how cool the vibe was how they made their music. And he had been arguing with John and Paul and the, who were dictators. And they were just dictators in that band. They let George have his one or two songs on every album and it turned out that George Harrison was their equal when it came to songwriting. It seems now, all these years later that my favorite Beatles songs are all George songs. Yes. You know, from, from While My Guitar Gently Weeps to, to, to Old Brown Shoe to, you know, one after another, these George songs just are so great. Not, you know, I love the other two guys, but the band, they were the only band I ever saw that changed instruments, each song. Uh, the drummer would step out in front and play guitar. The guitarist would go play the drums. The, 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 the you know, they, they just, they all played every instrument cool. and they all, they sounded their, their, their vocals, uh, and, and God bless Bill Hanley, the sound guy, their vocals were pristine. Those three-part harmonies rang out uh, in the night air and they did such great material. You know, even Lee Von Helm said before he died that they only made two great albums and those were the first two. And there was no way I was gonna pick one over another. But when their third <laughs> album came out, um, I think it was called Stage Fright, Yes, I remember I ran out to buy it on the first day. It was it was out there uh, thinking it would be a third great album. And I was disappointed. Mm. And I remained disappointed in that album. And then all the albums after that didn't even come close to music from Big Pink and the band. Those two first albums, like with the Grateful Dead, those two those two albums. And Johnny Winter live. Uh, must have been phenomenal, and you were love. You already loved Second Winter, but and you said that you guys were freaked out uh, because side four of the vinyl was blank. <laughs> <laughs> How do you buy a double album, which is more expensive than a single album? And after loving the first three sides, you put on side four, and there ain't no music on it. <laughs> But then what broke you was blood, sweat, and tears, right? You didn't. Oh, that's we left. Goodbye. <laughs> it just wasn't the same blood, sweat, and tears. You liked child as father to the man with that freaky cover in 1968 um, because of Al Cooper. And, well, that's who we thought we were going to go see. We yeah. didn't know that they kicked him out of his own band and they hired this stupid Canadian guy and to sing the even stupider spinning wheel. Uh, and, and once once they went into spinning wheel, uh, we said, this is ridiculous. Uh, we were tired. We were hungry. We were thirsty. We were cold. We were wet. We had to go to the bathroom. 
and and we were we wanted to see Jimi Hendrix so bad, but we just couldn't physically stay there anymore. It was impossible. Well, you got to hear some good. You got to hear Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young as you were leaving. Yeah, we did. Um, you got to hear. Well, you didn't really like the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Well, because it wasn't the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Michael right. Bloomfield wasn't there. Uh, Elvin Bishop wasn't there. Um, it was a ragtag assemblage. It wasn't the East West 1966 album. Oh, boy, um, when that album came out, that that's another jazz rock fusion thing uh, that I discovered when I was 15. I still that album still is in my rotation. And then you got to hear Shanana as you left, and you missed Hendrix, but um, most people did. Uh, he played, as you put it, to a sea of garbage, um, which is too bad because his set was pretty damn good. Looking and back and listening back, his set was phenomenal. It was a Star bunch Spangled of guys Banner. that was like did. a watershed moment there. Correct. In rock history, no doubt about it. But no one was there to hear it live except for a yeah. few stragglers who stayed. So all these albums you recommend by 32 artists. Is East West probably the that after that and the Undead album from 10 years after? Those are your top recommendations, maybe? Well, out of all 32, no, the top recommendations would be the two Grateful Dead albums, the two albums by the band, East West, definitely. And uh, I I can't, I don't, I I don't remember what some of the other ones were, but, but those five albums. Oh, the second winner. By Johnny Winter. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of great music. Yeah. Well, you got to pick up your book, right? You can get it on Amazon, but we're going to give away a couple copies. And people who are listening, if they go on our Twitter page, you can find Goldmine Magazine on Twitter and just post your favorite album of the Woodstock generation, of these Woodstock artists who played. And randomly, we'll pick out the winners. You can have Back to Yasker's Farm by Mike Greenblatt. I love it. Thank you for doing this. No problem. Any last words on as we approach the 52nd anniversary? Well, the thing about Woodstock 69 and what I like to say in every interview is that you can't have 500,000 people in one place at one time with not enough water or food, with horrible weather, uh, and not one reported instance of violence. How could that be? It was a different time. I mean, we they were the believed peace and love it. generation. We right. proved it. We proved it those four days. Yeah. Well, we're going to try to carry your book in our Goldmine store as well. Shop.goldminemag.com if people haven't visited yet. Um, we also have this. We have your album picks in the latest issue, the September issue, which is on newsstands now, Barnes & Noble and Books a Million. So I hope we get this book because it's great. It's one of the best Woodstock books in our store soon. And Mike, have a great 52nd anniversary of Woodstock. 
Um, I don't know what you'll be doing, probably listening to music, but. I'll be listening to music and watching baseball. <laughs> That's right. Your favorite teams, Yankees, Mets, and Phillies. What a, what a group there. Um, a bunch of rivalries uh, set up there, but. They're all still in it. Yes, they are. So we'll talk to you soon. And listeners, you can read Mike in the upcoming issues of Goldmine Magazine or catch him online. He's got three different online columns. Um, well, bluesology, jazzology, and filled with sound every month. So, Thank Mike, you. take care. We'll talk Bye-bye. to you soon. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.